If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Romans 6 now. If you don't have your Bibles, you're in a great spot because there's a Bible within just a few feet of you, wherever you happen to be sitting. Uh, and if you can pull that out from the rack and chair in front of you, if you don't own a Bible, you now do. You can have that one. But the text we're going to be reading from this morning is on page 943 of that few Bible there, or chair Bible, or rack Bible, or whatever kind of Bible you want to call it. It's got the Word of God in it. Uh, so we encourage you to look at that. Romans chapter 6, we left off at verse 14 last week. For those of our guests, we've been preaching through the book of Romans, giving ourselves um, uh, just a couple of sermons per chapter to just kind of work our way through uh, the sound doctrine that is represented in this book. So let's pick up in verse 15. Page 943 for you, uh, and let's begin to read. And he begins verse 15, just as he began verse 1. What are we going to say about this? What, what shall we say then? So what then? Are we to sin, verse 15, because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Having been freed from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit, what benefit, what blessing were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things, it's death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thanks be to your name that there is freedom from sin, that the old master who made us his slaves has, has been canceled, deposed, and moved out by the grace of Jesus Christ and through the power of the cross. He's been defeated once for all. And now, Father, we as those who are called and those who put our trust in Christ and those who have peace with you through Christ, we have been released from the bondage to sin. And now we have the privilege of being able to walk at liberty in Christ to walk in the newness of life that we never had a way of understanding or knowing or experiencing before. And so now, Lord, may the throne, may the mastery of our hearts, may the center of our being rest in Christ, the one and only master. And may we be tempted to no more become slaves to sin, but now slaves to Christ and his righteousness. Lord, teach us how, for Christ's sake. Amen. I, I pray that as a congregation, you are a people who read your Bible every day, 
but also you read it in the context of what's going on in the world, that you have some access to news things, because we need to be aware of what's happening on the international scene as the people of God. Why? Because we have a global commission as well as a local commission. The scriptures tell us that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we want to understand what's happening in the rest of the world. One of the places where there is much turmoil and tremendous amount of of disharmony, to say the least, would be what is typically known as the Middle East. Now, if you pick up the newspaper this morning or any morning uh, in the last several years, you'll find nuances of of information being presented to you that are saying the same thing in different contexts. They're saying there is an awful person leading this country or that country or the other. And that person needs to be deposed for the sake of liberty and for justice for the people of that land. We are at war with terrorism. We're at war with evil. Those evil tyrants need to be deposed. And and that's the message we get out there. But then comes the question, okay, so, so pick your poison. Let's say uh, the Iraqi war succeeded as it did in getting Saddam Hussein off the throne there. So he's no longer there. Great. Who's going to be in charge? But right now, it sounds not very good. It sounds like ISIS is kind of lining up to, to take over. It sounds like, if not ISIS, at least those who are being supported by that worldview are positioning themselves to step in. If ISIS is not the one, we're we're looking at a situation where one evil tyrant who has enslaved his people has been deposed. Everybody says, hallelujah, but no one has stepped in to provide a benevolent ruling over a land that has long been in bondage. Who's going to do that? And for us as one of the free nations of the West, we're called on, how do you help in that situation? I, we, we need to support those who would fight against the evils of ISIS. Great, so you're going to give weapons to those who after they fight ISIS are going to turn those weapons on you. That's not a real good scenario, is it? Some of you are thinking, well, you know, David, we, we, uh, we, we can read the paper, so could you get us to the Bible? Oh yeah, we're already there. There's an evil tyrant who has ruled over you from the moment of your birth. And that tyrant is called sin. And you have been a slave to sin, and it has been your master calling the shots in both your spirit and your mind since the day of your birth. And the text that we just read says, you are slaves of the one you obey. And by nature and by nurture, we have found ourselves under the dominion of sin. And we're slaves to sin. So what does that mean? How do we understand what it means for us to be a slave to sin? And how do we get out from under its dominion? That's why this passage begins with, what shall we say then? We already have liberation. We already have been freed. We already have deposed that evil tyrant sin who's ruled over us. And that has happened not because we have fought, not because we have resisted temptation, not because we're strong. It's because Jesus is stronger and Jesus is mightier. And Jesus has at the cross defeated once for all the power of sin to rule over us. 
Now, as the text unfolds, we begin to see that there are three different issues going on. We are either still in our sin and have never trusted Christ as Savior, and that means that we're still under his dominion, and we're still slaves in obedience to our sinful nature, and our life is going to always be on a constant downward death spiral toward that time when judgment and condemnation come. And this passage ends up by the statement that says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. You, you still remain under the dominion of sin your whole life. You never come out from under that. You never have the chains broken. Sin will have its way in your life, and you will suffer the consequences of the judgment of God against that sin in you, and the wages of sin is going to be death. There will be dying as a result of following that king, if he is your master. So we said, well, we don't want to be slaves to sin anymore. We want to be slaves to no one. We want to absolutely declare our independence of anyone. We are autonomous individual beings who have free will to do anything and everything we want. Uh, let, me, let me just maybe bear some bad news for you. No, no you're not. <laughs> you're, you're not free now. You never have been. What is going to happen is that you will make a choice as to whether you remain in bondage to the sin nature or whether you choose to be in bondage to something that will produce life in you. Or a lot of us are going to find that we're trying to walk both sides of the fence. And so we're going to be considering slaves to sin. No more. You don't have to. Slaves of the moment where we're not, the jury's still out. We're not sure what we're going to do yet. Or slaves to the Lord in which we do know the outcome, which is glorious. We say, I don't want to be slave to the Lord or anybody else. I want to be able to call my own shots. Well, here's the thing. You don't call your own shots now. Yes, I do. I'm my own person. Good. How's your paycheck do? Who, who gets to dictate what happens to your salary. That's what I do. So Uncle Sam doesn't get any of it? I think he does, or else we're going to tell on you. (laughs) Yeah, I know your number. We're going to call IRS and say, I got somebody to talk to you. No, we don't do that, but, I mean, we we don't have control. They're going to take some of it. FICA is going to get some of it. We're going to have some taken out of our paycheck for some kind of medical deal. We've got to pay for some kind of insurance. We got those things. If we're believers, we're going to make sure that 10% of it is at least tithed toward the work of the Lord somewhere. We, we're not in control of that. We are not free agents to do whatever we want. So we already know some limitations. You can't drive as fast as you want to. Some of you pay attention to me then. Some of you can't drive as fast as you want to. You, you really shouldn't do that. Uh, some of you whose uh, who's kids are in public school, you can't tell the school system where your kid's going to go to school. That's, that's been determined for you. You may own your own house in your own neighborhood in your own sweet little subdivision, but you don't have the right to dictate what you put in your front yard. Try putting a 39 DeSoto out there up on blocks and see if your neighbor's like that, you know? <laughs> they, might, they might protest just a little bit. They might call on the restrictive covenants clause in your subdivision and say, you, you can't do what you want to in your own home. There, there are limitations on things. So we're, we're already functioning with some restrictions in our lives. The scriptures are saying the biggest restriction until you find your way into a relationship with Christ, the biggest restriction is that you are a slave to sin. You are going to do its bidding more times than not. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. You are either by motive or by modus operandi, what you do, you are going to choose to do something that is more contrary to God than it is for God. That is the sin nature. So he says to us, here's what happens, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves 
of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Then verse 19, I'm, now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, being you who are in Christ, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You're, you're a slave then, what he says. You're a slave to sin when, verse 13, you go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. I may say, well, I'm in Christ, and I'm, I'm now at peace with God, and my sin has been forgiven. Yeah, but every time you keep presenting the members of your body to obedience to sin, you are now a slave of unrighteousness again. You've been released. The cell, the cell drawer has been opened up, and, and the chains have been broken, and you've been free to walk out there, but you have chosen to walk back in and close the cell and put the chains back on when you choose to be obedient to sin again. He says, so you're, you're going to be a slave to sin when you go on doing that. And when you present your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, as it says in verse 19. So he says, you're, you're a slave to sin when you do that. Now, a slave to sin is free regarding righteousness. If you have one master and sin is that master, you don't have any obligation to righteousness whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you are defying your master of unrighteousness if you choose to be obedient to a righteous course of action. He says, so you're free regarding righteousness. You're, you have no allegiance to holiness. You, you are not bound in any way to do anything that would lead you to do what is good and right. When you're a slave to sin, you don't have to worry about all that. You're a slave to sin and you're free regarding righteousness. Well, there's some things you don't want to be free of. <clears throat> right? I mean, I don't want to be free of certain things. When you fly somewhere, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> when you fly somewhere, one of the greatest moments is knowing you're going to be walking off that plane in a minute. That tube with wings on it is going to hold you no more. <laughs> you, get, you get, I mean, because yeah, it's not like you're claustrophobic. Well, maybe some of you are, but it's not like you're claustrophobic necessarily, but, <clears throat> you know, you're now not free to walk around the cabin. It is a message is in there. <clears throat> I hope you've gone potty before 30 minutes before landing because you can't get up after that. You know, you get, you're going to stay in that seat. You're, you're not free to do what you want to do. So you get on the ground, you, you stand up. You know it's going to be 20 minutes still because there's all these people in front of you. <clears throat> you know that moment when you stand there looking down the aisle and you're thinking, what are they doing up there? Why are they not exiting? Well, probably because the door's not even been opened yet. But we're thinking as soon as they say, seatbelt's done, ding, 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 people are pulling luggage down, they're ready to get off that plane. They're ready to get off because they think they're getting ready to get free. Now, that's a good thing. And when you walk out into the jetway and you're walking in the airport, it's like, oh, I'm free from that bondage there. Now, here's the thing. You try to get out that door at 30,000 feet, you're free from the bondage of that plane. But you're now a slave to gravity. <laughs> and, and there's a difference. You don't want to be free from the plane at that point. Now, I'm loving being free from it when I landed already you. That means I'm almost home. But I don't want somebody throwing me out the door at 30,000, okay? Because there's another law involved. And so God's saying to you, look, there are some things you don't want to be free from. You do not want to be free with regards to righteousness. You were created for righteousness, 
my intention when I created the human race is that all of you would live in such a way that the glory of God would be seen in you, that the light of the radiance of the beauty of the holiness of Christ would be evident in you. And instead, there's a marred, distorted, perverted image in the visage of those who were created to be pure reflections of light. And sin did that to you. Do you want to be a slave to sin and do it your way when in actual fact it's not your way but the way of sin? Or do you want to be free from that and become a slave of righteousness? That's, that's what Paul's saying. He said, you don't have to go back and live that way. You can be a slave of righteousness. You can choose to no longer be a slave to sin. You are, by nature, sinful. You are, by nature, going to make choices that, that assert your own autonomy. And God says, you're the slave of the one you obey. Choose righteousness. Because a slave to sin is always going to suffer first from shame. You, you do what you want to do, and you thought it was a great thing. And he says, but what fruit... This is verse 21. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? What, what, what benefit did you gain? It made all kinds of promises to you. If you do this, this is the pleasure. If you do this, this is how it satisfies. If you do this, this is what you will gain from it. And every time, it is bankrupt. It doesn't come through. Sin lies to you, and you just keep buying it, and you keep thinking, well, maybe this time, if I do it my way, I'm not, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm my own person. You just betrayed that you are really a slave of sin because you don't even know who your master is. Sin's calling the shots as long as Christ is not calling the shots. And so that's the issue. You're ashamed if you're a slave to sin. And ultimately, he says in verse 23, you're going to die from this affliction. The wages of sin, what you've earned by that life is, is death. You, you don't want to go that way. There has been a remedy. There has been a chain-breaking sequence of events at the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ died for your sins in order to remove both the penalty of it and the power of it over you. And he wants you to now walk in newness of life. So Christ died for us, and we have no reason to to reject that. We want to have peace with God. We want to be at one with him. We want to identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection so that we walk in newness of life. So what shall we say? Shall we keep staying under the dominion of an evil master? And Paul says, God forbid. Like we said last week, J.B. Phillips' translation of that. What a ghastly thought that would be to keep going back to sin. Who is this tyrant? It's like in those Middle Eastern kingdoms. Would we put... Saddam Hussein back on that throne if he were still alive? No, no, no. We wouldn't do that. We're trying to protect that throne, not infest that throne with more evil. The human heart, he says, no, here's what happens. The slave of sin has been freed from that. But there's an intermediate place where we find ourselves where we're not slaves to the Lord yet. We're, we're not slaves to righteousness yet because we find ourselves as slaves of the moment. We, we want to do right, but we haven't really committed yet. And so we're kind of holding out our options until the moment comes. Would you do, and then you fill in the blank. I said, I, no, of course not. Well, I don't think I would. I'm, well, I'm not sure. Well, I don't know. If nobody knew, would I? Could I? Maybe if I got away with it, maybe my resolve is not as firm as I think. No, that's, that's being a slave to the moment. It's an unsettled place of indecision in your life. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7 as being people who build their house on a rock or on sand. He says, now, if you build it on sand and the storms of life come your way, you're in trouble. 
you're going to get knocked down and smashed. As a matter of fact, he says, great was the fall of the house that was built on the sand. He says, now, if you put your trust in Christ and you're building on an unshakable foundation where you are taking your stand in his grace as one who is forgiven and one who has been broken free from the bondage of sin, you don't have to go that way anymore. So you can build on that foundation. But a lot of folks are living, looking to see, maybe if I build these two foundation walls on sand and these on rock, then maybe the ones on rock will sustain me while I can still play around in the sand. No, that's, that's indecision. That's, that's living for the moment, and you're a slave to that moment. You don't know what's going to happen. I am resolved, says the believer. I am resolved no longer to be a slave to sin. So why would I make provision for it by living in an indecisive way without convictions and without the convictions, finding myself frustrated by my inability to stay on track, why, why would I do that? That's not what we're called to do. We, we don't want to be slaves to the moment anymore. We want to be resolved to, to live. Now, when we are experiencing this kind of, oh, I'll figure this out myself, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position where we trust ourselves. I can, I can figure this out. I can do this. Or in that situation, we're either, we're either ignorant or forgotten where that got us in the first place. It wasn't working very well before. Or we find that there's an inconsistency where, man, we're really up on the roller coaster over here today and we're down in the pits over here the next day and mountaintop and, and valley and we're just, we're just scattered to the breezes. We're tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine and what we believe and in every hint of temptation that comes our way. He says, don't do that. Because what happens, the frustration will come where you'll, you'll find that you really don't understand the fullness of the spiritual heritage that God has for you because you haven't gone all in on it. You, you don't know what all he has for you there. You're going to toy with unbelief where you're going to see parts of Scripture and you're thinking, I'm not sure I really believe that. Disobedience is going to be rampant. You're going to lose the love that you ought to have for God in your heart, there's going to be frustration, uh, a poor prayer life, a, a neglect of Scripture, discouragement. There's going to be a critical spirit, worry, anxiety. All this kind of stuff is just going to flood you if you're caught in that tweener zone between being a slave to sin and a slave to the Lord. And just don't be a slave for the moment. I, I'm going to sort this out as I go. Don't do that. Christ has set you free from that slave master. He has set you free. You're not in bondage anymore to, uh, to sin, nor to the moment. You can be resolved to live for Christ in the power of his spirit. He wants that for you. He's got to be the one who is not just your savior to take away the, the problem of your punishment, but he is to be your sovereign Lord who calls the shots in every area in your life. And therefore, yeah, he has to reign on the throne of your heart. That's familiar language to those in the church, maybe not so much for those outside, but it is saying, Lord, you're master. You're the only master who counts because you're the only one who can free me from the dominion of sin. Lord, I want to make sure also that I'm obeying you in the power of your Holy Spirit and that, that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit so that I'm walking in the inexpressible joy of Christ. I want no longer to be a slave to sin, but I also don't want to be a slave to the moment, not knowing which way I'm going to go. I want to be a slave to you, Lord. I want to surrender to your righteousness and to yours alone. I want to become obedient from the heart, verse 17. I want to become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed from the heart, meaning I'm, I'm all in. I'm not, 
double-minded. I'm not with a divided heart. I'm, I'm not thinking, well, maybe today I am and not tomorrow, or this afternoon I am, but this morning I'm not. No, I, I have given my whole heart to him. I'm devoted from the heart to this form of teaching to which I'm committed, and I'm committed to it because it is the truth of Christ. It's the foundation of life. Why would I choose anything else that's going to lead me into a bondage that's going to be destructive to me and draw me back into the slavery of an evil tyrant when God has said, you can be free. You can absolutely be free. You get the fruit of this kind of slavery to Christ. What is that? He says, that fruit is sanctification, holiness. That, that end in mind for you is eternal life. Now that you've been set free, verse 22, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. It leads to its end, which is eternal life. Yeah, the, the wages of sin is death. Yes, we see that. But the free gift of God that he wants you to have is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we surrender to righteousness and say, Lord, do in me what's necessary for your righteousness to be reproduced in me. That my commitment is to you. That form of teaching that I have embraced as truth from you. Lord, may I live in that truth. Even when the rest of the world is choosing to try to find alternatives, I am not looking to decide as a slave to the moment which way of the, of the wind is going to direct me and my convictions. It's so horrible in our day to be able to see people saying, well, I used to think that the Bible was true about that, but I've become enlightened and now I think differently. No, you haven't been enlightened. You've been duped back into becoming a slave to sin again and a slave of unbelief. You don't, you don't want to go there. God's truth is true always. Stay with that truth to which you're committed. So what happens? You surrender to righteousness, which means that you also surrender to Christ himself, that he becomes your Lord. He becomes your first love. He becomes the passion of your heart. And so you embrace the freedom that you have from him, freedom from the sin and from the indecision of the moment. Uh, you accept your, your new slavery. You, you look at that and say, I don't want to be a slave to anybody. But dog, if I could be a slave to Jesus, I mean, that just opens up all kinds of stuff that I never even imagined. I get to live in the household of the king and he treats his bondservants and his slaves as sons and daughters. The inheritance is ours. The blessings and the riches are ours. If we're bond slaves of Christ, I want to be that kind of slave. I want to be obedient to my master and say, Jesus, you reign. I will walk by faith and trust you for what you say, Lord. I will love by faith and reach out with his inexhaustible and unconditional love to anybody that I have a chance to interact with. I want to get to the place where I'm witnessing by faith and, and I'm telling the gospel, expecting God to do something through that gospel to bring people to himself. And I want to live by faith so that the God who is holy, who says, I am holy, you shall be holy. I want you to be like Christ. I want the throne of your heart to be occupied by one master, and that's Christ. And so we look back, as we started, we look back to the, the situation, Saddam Hussein, he's gone. Who's in charge? Nobody. We, we look back and just a few years before and we, we see what happened with Muammar Gaddafi in, in Libya. And we look back and think, well, he was deposed. Yeah, it didn't, didn't really work out yet for that country. They're still trying to sort out who's going to be in charge there. But it doesn't look like it's going to be King Jesus yet. And then you look for Bashar al-Assad in Syria. 
genocidal leader who's tyrannically eradicating big portions of his population to stay in power. And we're being asked to step in. Do something. Do something. What? Because any way we step, we're stepping on a landmine of possibilities that are not good. What do we do? There will never be any peace. I heard an old song years ago. There will never be any peace until Jesus is at the conference table. There will never be a throne that brings stability and unity to any land or any nation until it's Christ seated on that throne. Your heart, my heart, can never experience the fullness of God's grace until that throne is occupied by none other than the almighty king, Jesus, the resurrected Lord. That's the only way it works. He says, so there's only one master. Don't let it be sin. Don't let it be the moment. Let it be Jesus. And that is what he calls us to. Let's pray. Father, we come with joy to embrace that and to know that we had nothing to do with it. We, we couldn't make that up. We couldn't come up with this plan. We couldn't in any way by our own imaginations develop a system by which these things would be true. Lord, this is revelation from your heart, a demonstration of your love, an ex- example of, of pure grace where what we deserved, Jesus, you took it on yourself. And what we could never possibly have deserved or earned, you have given us from the bounty of your riches, your love and your grace. And Father, we thank you that a part of that package is that we're free and we don't have to continue in sin. And we are no longer slaves. The, the bond has been broken. The chains have been cut off. The, the doors of the cells of our prison that enslaved us, they're, they're gone. Father, may we no longer go back there. May we be resolved to not live for that moment of figuring out what we're going to do along the way. But Father, when we wholly surrender ourselves to you, may we find that daily we live in the the shadow of the cross and we find that we have been indeed crucified with Christ. And so those things which would appeal to us in the past to go back they no longer have any bondage over us because it is no longer we and our old sinful nature listening, but that it's you listening and rejecting the appeals of our former slave master. Lord Jesus, be our master, and we will give ourselves to you with all that we are. We pray this with great confidence and great joy because of your amazing grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.